We're going to be um, we're going to be picking up with verse 22 in this in our in our meandering through Matthew this morning, verse 22 of chapter 14, and we Jesus is they and the disciples have just on the on the the, the side of the Sea of, of Galilee as he's taught, uh, and and when the day got late and there was no food, then with with five loaves and two fishes that a little boy had. Uh, he's fed the multitude. So we, we call it the feeding of the 5,000, but we need to remember that the 5,000, Scripture tells us, is a number of men, not counting the women and children. So the estimates range from 15 to 20,000 people that had a fish fry that day with, with this small lunch. And, what, and, and, and an awesome time, as they, as they sat down and relaxed, they ate till they were all full, and then Jesus had them gather the 12 baskets that were left over so that nothing was lost. Verse 22 then says, and, and straightway or, or immediately we would say, or quickly we would say, um, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. Now, the Sea of Galilee is, is, is really, it's about 13 miles long, north to south, and it's only six to eight miles wide at its widest point. It's, it's really a freshwater lake uh, there, and out of the Sea of Galilee, out of the south part of it comes the Jordan River, and the Jordan River then flows down south into the Dead Sea. But, uh, but when I read this verse, the, the word that, that just jumped off the page to me almost was this word constrained. And straightway, Jesus constrained, the King James says, constrained his disciples to get in the ship. Now, what's some other translations have for that word? He made. He insisted. It's a strong word. It's a strong word. And, and as, if you look it up, it's a word that can be used with, uh, if necessary, make by force. Now, I don't believe that Jesus forced his disciples to, to get in the ship, to, to cross the sea. But the word used here indicates that there was some strong urging going on. Now, I, I look at that and I thought, wow, that's, that's interesting. And, uh, and, and you wonder, I wondered why, but, but probably down in verse 23 or verse 24, we understand the reason. And uh, you got to know that these disciples... Among the disciples that Jesus constrained to get into the boat was a number of men who had grown up on and around the Galilee. Some of them actually had, had that, they, they earned their living fishing. They were fishermen. They earned their living fishing there on the Galilee. And the Galilee was notorious, still is today, uh, is, is, is known for the, the storms that can come down from the, the hills on the eastern side of the, of the sea, come down off those, off those mountains and the winds and how suddenly and quickly you can be in the middle of a violent storm on the Galilee. And we see it in scriptures. It's not uh, uh, a while before this. I think it's recorded in Mark 4. But we see another time that the disciples were on, on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus was asleep in the back of the, the boat. And, uh, and there was a sudden, one of these sudden storms came up to the point that the disciples thought they were gonna drown. And that's when Jesus, they woke Jesus up and he speaks and calms the storm. 
So I'm thinking that it's late in the day. It was late in the day. The disciples were ready to send the people away to get something to eat. But Jesus instead feeds them there. So now it's even much later in the day. And so quickly, Jesus tells them to get in the boat and to go to the other side. And I'm, I'm convinced that some of these fishermen who were disciples said, um, you know what? It's late. Have you, have you felt the wind is coming from the east? And, and the conditions are right. Uh, we've been in the Galilee in, night, in, in the night in storms before. Jesus, we, it, it, everything's right. We think it's going to come up a storm. And why don't we just, it'd be much better if we just stayed here and we'll, we'll camp out. Hey, everybody's had a lot to eat. They're, they're full. They're satisfied. Send the people away. Come back. Let's rest. Let's, let, let's see what happens. Let the storm pass. And in the morning, in the morning, we can almost see the other side and we'll, we'll take the ship and we'll go over the boat. We'll go over. Jesus urges them. He, no, guys, now, get in the, get in the, get in the ship. Now, go to the other side. Now, I'm going to go let the, I'm going to send the people away. You go. And I can imagine they said, well, why don't you send them away and go over there with us? Doesn't tell us that. It's just that he, he constrained his disciples and they're told to go. Well, let's look in verse 23. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. He was praying with his father. But the ship, and I, the way verse 24 is, but the ship with all the disciples was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. They note it. Knowing this group of 12, and we, we, we see their interaction all through the Gospels, I can imagine they, they head out. They didn't, they didn't like it, but Jesus told them to. And after all, he just fed thousands of people with a little boy's lunch, and they got the baskets there left to you know, prove it. So they go. But dark hits, and the storm hits. And I can imagine these guys. Dad, Jimmy, we told him we shouldn't left. We know we could. We knew it's coming to storm. He's a carpenter. He should have stuck the building. We're the fishermen. We know about this lake. We know about these storms. And now they're in the middle of a storm. But I want you to think about something. And there's so many times in Scripture, uh, storms in the Sea of Galilee are, are pictures of our life. They're pictures of our lives. We talk about Jesus calming the winds and the waves, how he can calm the storms in our lives. But here, the disciples were where Jesus told them to be, doing what he told them to do, and going where he told them to go. And they're in another storm. Now, James, it's one thing to be in a storm when we have been disobedient. I, I, in Scripture, there's two types of storms that I've, that I've ran across. There's storms of correction and storms of perfection. Jonah is a good example of a storm of correction, right? Another story, Old Testament story of Jonah. God had, had told Jonah to go to Nineveh and to witness to these, to these heathen up in Nineveh. They were known for their brutality. They were known for their, uh, their harshness and treatment and their ungodliness. And God says to Jonah, go witness to them 
I'm gonna, I, I need you to, to, to warn them my judgment coming. And I imagine Jonah said, send it, God send it. Yeah, yeah. That's, I, he, he, didn't, he, he didn't want mercy for those people that had done all this to Israel and everybody else. About that going time, somebody, you send mercy, uh, send judgment, God. So instead of going to Nineveh, what does scripture tell us? Jonah got on the boat headed to Joppa, right? And God sent a storm. And it must have been a whopper. It must have been a big one. Because these sailors that were on the ship, they got rid of the tackle. They got rid of the, of the cargo. They, they got rid of everything that they, that they possibly could to lighten the load so that they could survive the storm. But there was one thing that was causing a problem. And that was a disobedient prophet. And it wasn't until they threw him overboard that the storm calmed. It was a storm of correction that God had sent because of the prophet of God had disobeyed God. And so now God sends this storm to say, hey, big boy, how do you like conditions in the well? Are you going to, to Nineveh now? And we know that story. It was a storm of correction. And sometimes in our lives, when we disobey God or when we think we know better than God and we find ourselves maybe running from him or at least not where we should be. He sends storms in our lives. And there can be storms of correction. And we find ourselves faced with that. And God says, okay, are you going to repent now? But sometimes, and you need to see this because this morning in this scripture, sometimes you can be right where you feel like God wants you to be. You can be doing what you feel like God wants you to do. And going where God wants you to go. And all of a sudden, bam, out of nowhere, there's storms. There's physical problems. There's calamities. There's, there's, there's catastrophes. And it's in those times often, you know, the storms of correction comes, and Jonah knew. Matter of fact, before they ever chunked him overboard, Jonah told him, I'm the problem. I'm the problem. This storm is because of me. Throw me over, and everything will be okay. Those storms of correction sometimes in our lives are pretty easy to identify because God's Holy Spirit, especially if we're, if we're followers of Christ, Leroy was talking about if we're Christians, Holy Spirit living within us, as we, when we step out, we, when we turn and go in a different direction and those storms come, in my life, I found that pretty immediately the Holy Spirit said, hey, big boy, you need to stop, you need to repent, and you need to turn around. Storm, you think storm's rough now, it's going to get worse unless you obey me. Storms of correction. And we're pretty quick to understand that, but sometimes... When we're like these disciples and we're right, we're doing what we feel like God wants us to do. And we're right where he's told us to be. And the storms hit. And we don't understand. And, and I, you know, and we say, why? God. And here the disciples are in the middle of the storm where Jesus told them to be. And he ain't there. He's not there. And I can imagine, you know, I, I imagine this. And, in the, and, and all of a sudden, it, the, the, the storm has got worse. It's between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning. The fourth watch. What is that? What do we say? The darkest before the dawn. That's the darkest time of the night. In the darkest time of the night, in the middle of the storm, they see something on the ocean. Now, as we, as we read this, it's obvious it says, and when the, it says, and then in the fourth watch of the night, verse 25, 
Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled and said, it's a, King James says, it's a spirit. And they cried out for fear. What's the other translation say? Ghost. If it had been North Georgia, they'd said, it's a haint. And listen, these guys, again, they were familiar with, the, with this sea. They were familiar with this storms. That Jimmy, they had tried to tell him that. And no, probably, in all likelihood, some of these very disciples had family members or friends or loved ones that had lost their lives in a storm on the Galilee just like this one. It was notorious for that. And they knew better than to be caught out there. But they were caught out there. Jesus wasn't there. They were doing what he told them to do. Now, it's easy for us to look back and say, hey, you know, Jesus told them to get into the ship and go to the other side. Huh. You know, duh. All they got to do is, is when the storm comes, Jesus said we're going to the other side. We're going to the other side. If he told us to go there, that's where we're going. It's no problem. It's easy to stand up here on the platform and say that, right? Hey, Jesus said, go to the other side. I don't care what storms you face. I don't care all this. But when you're in a ship in the middle of the, of the storm and it's bouncing you around like a little toy, boy. So that's where these disciples were. And, and now sometime three or four o'clock, five o'clock in the morning, they see this this thing, this, this image, and they think, and I, I imagine they're thinking, it's a ghost, we're dead. We're dead, we're going down, we're dying. Jesus told us to go to the other side, and I can imagine, and, and the, real, the real spiritual one of them said, Jesus sent us to the other side, and if we go down, it's his will, we're going down. I, you know, I mean, I mean, we do this, we do it, and I understand that, and there's a lot to be said about that. But, but there's a lot to be said because of what fixes to happen also. So they see this, they're afraid, but notice what happens. I love verse 27. It says, uh, verse 26 says, they see him, they cry out for fear. Now, I don't, you know, I don't know what that's like, but these guys, you know, hey, I, I mean, this is it. And they're probably, Jesus, I don't know. But verse 27 says, and straight, but straightway, and, and to me that means quickly, right then, Jesus speaks to him, and he says, don't be afraid, it's me. Don't be afraid, it's me. Now, I can imagine somebody said, hey, that's the, that's the Lord. Did you hear his voice? Somebody said, that's the wind howling. You didn't hear anything but the wind. We're going to die. And the next, stuff that, the next thing that happens is, is absolutely out of this world. It's crazy. Because Peter thinks he's identified. It's, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. And so Peter says, verse 28, 29, and this is, this is, this is it's pretty wild. And, and a lot of times this is what this story is known, known for. But this is only part because this is not the main thing at all, I don't believe. But it's part. So Peter answers and said, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come to you on the water. I have no idea what got into Peter's mind. <laughs> I mean, it would, Solomon would probably been said, you know, we're having a trustee meeting, and, uh, and all of a sudden we're in a boat, and, and we were doing, and something happens, we said, Lord, if it's really you, send Solomon. Call Solomon. You know, Peter said, Lord, if it's really you, call John. But instead, he said, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you. Peter was known for his impulsiveness. Uh, ch church history or some of the, the, the writings 
would, would indicate that Peter may have been one of the older disciples. He was a, he was a fisherman. He was married. Uh, he was one of the older guys. But he was a guy that often engaged his mouth before he had thought it through. And he often, often drew swords. Remember, he drew a sword, cut Malchus's ear off. Jesus had to put his ear back on and said, Peter, you know, I mean, he, he's, he's quick. What was it? Rose told us a few weeks ago, before the chicken sung, is that what she said? Before the chicken sings, you will deny me. So, but Peter says, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. Now, and the Lord, verse 29, and the Lord said to him, come, come. Now, I want to tell you, I, I, I read that and I thought, oh, man, I would, I would just, I, there, there's, there is so much. That, I found that, find that this is one of, when Jesus says, don't be afraid, but, what, but how many times Jesus says to, to, in Scripture, come, come to me, come to me. Remember last week I was, talk, was talking about no, not having any leftovers and I, I mentioned Isaiah 55. Jesus says, oh, everyone that thirsts us, come, come to me. If you, want, if you want bread of life, come to me. Come to me. How many times he says to us, come out. I, I just just some, some, a few times. Matthew 4, 19, Jesus told his disciples, come and follow me. Come follow me. Mark 10, he says to the little children, come to me. Come to me. John 7, 37, talking about being the, the water, that, the, a well of water. He says, come to me and I'll give you waters that you'll never thirst again. Matthew eleven twenty eight. he says, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you rest. Luke 14, 17, he says, all those who are hungry, come to the banqueting table. Mark 6, 31, all those who need rest are invited to come. When Zacchaeus was up in the tree and Jesus walked down, Jesus said, come down, Zacchaeus. I'm going to your house today. And then the Bible ends in Revelation chapter 22, 17 with an invitation for the free gift of the water of life to come and receive. So when Peter says to him, Lord, if it's really you, let me come to you. And Jesus said, come on, Peter, come on. Now, 29, and Peter swung his leg over the side of the boat. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And we, we you know, there, there is so much to be said. There's a lot to be said about, again, a Jesus, the master, how he walks in the waters is, is, is kind of a picture of the troubles of our life and the worlds and the thing. And yet how he, that very thing that we fear, he can, we can walk on and above as we obey him. So Peter's walking on the water to Jesus. I wonder what the other guys in the boat thought. I, yeah, I don't know. And of course, we know it, one of the things we, we quickly say, but look what happened. But when Peter saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. There are so many things. There's such a, such a uh, message here. Got a, a text this morning from my brother, and, and he was saying, there's such a message here of Peter and, and how we, too, are walking in obedience and following the Lord, and yet there are all kinds of uh, distractions that, would, that would, would, would want and cause us to, to, take, to take our eyes off the Lord. 
And look at them. For Peter, it was a storm. The, the waves and the winds, he was doing great as long as he kept his eyes on the Lord. But, but the wind and the, and the waves, and I imagine they saying, this is impossible. And, and what happened when, we, when he took his eyes off the Lord? And there's such a message there for you and me. To keep our eyes on him. To walk in his obedience. And as we walk in his obedience, keep our eyes on him. But there's so many things that distract us. Trials, problems, finances, relationships, temptations, all these things are all the time all around us. So how can we walk and keep our eyes on him? I was thinking about that this morning. And and there's at least a couple of things, a couple of things that I found really helped me. One, one is it is so important that we maintain or begin or keep on having a time, a consistent time in God's word. So important. I can't over, I can't overstress that enough. I know a lot of you are reading through the Bible. I love that. Reading through the Bible this year with one of our Bible plans. But whether you're reading through the Bible in one of our plans or whether you're just reading in one of the plans that's on your Bible app, on your tablet or a phone, or whether you're just in the, whether you're in it every morning or every day. If you're a morning person, you just don't get much better than getting up early and having a cup of coffee with God's word and you and God's word in a cup of coffee. And that's for a morning person. That's awesome. But if you're, for, if you're a night person, it may be after everybody's gone to bed, the kids are quiet, the television's turned off, and you're just there. And it's you and God's word. It may be that it's you've, got, you've got this and you're traveling this in the middle of the day when all of a sudden you've got 15 minutes and, you've, and you've, it's God's word. I don't know. I don't know. And it don't, you know, there's not secret about where it is or when it is. I just know that it's so important. So important. Keeping our eyes on him. Because, when we, because this word is him. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. You want to keep your eyes on Jesus? Keep your eyes in the book. Keep your eyes in the book. When we, when we start looking at things around us, we may, when we, when we, when we get distracted, then we kind of lose I read it, used to read it so often and, you know, but I just had, I'll tell you something, in my life what I found is, you don't, you don't, Satan is so cunning and so wise that he don't attack immediately when I've been out of God's word a day. He will, it, it, it has a cumulative effect like not eating for several days. See, I could, I, I'm like a camel. I got enough reserve here. I could, I could miss a meal and, uh, you know, and probably wouldn't know. I could probably miss two or three and it wouldn't know it. Probably miss a few more than that. But if I go for several days without eating, then, there, then, you, then you become weak. Just a warning or encouragement. One of the ways of helping us keep our eyes on the Lord is staying in his word. If you, if, you, if, you've, if you used to do it and hadn't done it and, and kind of quit doing it, get back in it. If you hadn't started yet, get in it. And it's more, and, and for those of us, some of you teach Bible, uh, 
studies. Some of you preach. Fred's getting ready to, to preach, uh, not preach, but to speak at Joshua's Warriors. We've got a lot of uh, uh, different men and women in here that minister God's word. And it, but it's so critical. It's different when you're reading God's study. I'm saying, okay, I'm going I'm to, I'm, Lord, I'm getting ready. I'm going through Matthew. So what do you want me to share with the church Sunday morning? And I need to do that. But that is so different than me going to God's word and saying, okay, Lord, what, what do you want to show me today? So there's time we need, to, we need that study time. If you're, if you're a, a student, what's it, Timothy, study to show yourself approved unto God. We need that study time. But we also just need that time when we're going to God's word. So one of the ways I've found of helping us keep our focus on the Lord is God's word and prayer. Prayer. Learning, just learning, just walking in this relationship. We've talked about it a, a good deal lately. And I know, and I know some of you are, are what was it, Brother, Brother Andrew called it practicing the presence of God. So that when we're, you're driving and you're by yourself, Sam's fixing to go to, to look at a house and, and it's just him and the Lord. And, 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 and so, you know, other people may think he's crazy if they pass him and you see his lips moving, nobody in there. But Sam's talking to the Lord and, and he said, okay, God, I'm going to this now. You need to show me what to, to do and you need to give me wisdom. And Lord, is this, is this what I need to do? I need to hear from you. I can get into it by my own self, but I don't want to. And so we're talking with the Lord, you know, brother Andrew, the, 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 um, Motivation and a lot of the material for his, the booklet, Practicing the Presence of God, was gained in the kitchen. In the kitchen, because his responsibility was washing the pots and pans and dishes. Now, it would have been easy for him to have been frustrated and aggravated and said, how am I ever going to get close to God in here with this dirty pans? And this dirty sink, I need to be out ministering to people. But it was in that time of obedience and submission to the Lord that he gained such rich insight on, on the presence, practicing the presence of the Lord. And we need to do that. I'm, I'm convinced that as Peter said, Lord, if it's really you, then to bid me come to you. And the Lord said, it's me, Peter, come on. And so as Peter swung his foot over the boat, and as he's keeping his eyes on the Lord, it was a walk of faith, right? You, I, I kind of agree with that. <laughs> Doggone right. He was walking on the water because the Lord had told him to do that. It was a walk of faith. But the same way, the Lord calls you and me. We may not be in a storm in our lives right now. But as, and following him, and what does he say to us? He says, the just shall walk by faith. And not by sight. And this faith walk, it's, it's this walk of faith that helps you and me look at a sinner and see a saint that God is working on. It's a walk of faith that helps us look. And when we get that pink slip unexpectedly, and the responsibilities and the bills have that we look at that pink slip and the walk of faith says, this is a pink slip, but God's got a better job with better benefits somewhere else. He knows what he's going to do. God's going to provide. It's that walk of faith that helps us see the invisible, move the unmovable, achieve the unattainable, and survive the unthinkable, and thrive in the face of the impossible. That's what faith in God can do. When we walk in obedience to him. 
So Peter recognized his voice. He yields and submits to him. And he walks and he's doing fine until he takes his eyes off the Lord. And, and I, I, this, is, this is so cool. Well, there's a lot, of, a lot of prayers in Scripture, some powerful prayers. Go back to the Old Testament when Solomon, de- Solomon dedicated the temple. We go back to, to the Gospel of John, Jesus' prayer. I mean, there's so many, Daniel's prayers. But here we have one of the shortest prayers in Scripture, three words. Three words. What are they? Jesus, save me. That's a pretty good prayer. It's hard to improve on that. He knew who to call to. He knew his situation. He knew what he needed. But it was, and it came out of, out of the desperation of his heart. I've, I've thought, I've, I think about this, and, I, and I'm just marvel. Um, I'm used to, I mean, when he's sinking, he, he, I read this, he didn't go down like a rock, evidently. Uh, Woody, is, Woody Woodman is a, is a renowned, he just knows how to catch crappy. Perry Stansel knows how to catch stripers. Uh, but with Woody, and I'm thinking about one of these floats with a minnow under it, and, and sometimes you can just see that thing going down. I, I, somehow or another, when Peter took his eyes off the Lord, this, he started going down. The reason I know this is because of prayer quickly. I mean, he, all of a sudden, Peter realizes he's not on the water. He's in the water, okay? And now he's going down. And immediately, Jesus, save me. And I, and I look, love this because verse 31 says, and what? Immediately, immediately, Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him. Oh, my goodness. How many times has Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught me and caught you? Man. And here this disciple is in the midst of the storm, right where Jesus wants him to be, going where he told him to go, doing what he told him to do, and he's doing the impossible. And all of a sudden, he looks around and thinks, I can't do this. And he's starting down. But when he cries out, Jesus is right there. Immediately, he takes hold of his hand. Before they ever get to the boat, and I'm imagining Jesus takes his hand, Peter comes up, Peter's soaking. I don't know how far down he got. I don't know, but he's wet. He hadn't been, but now he is. But now he and Jesus are there, and they're headed, and they're right at the boat. And Jesus looks at him and says, man, you was doing so good. But what happened to your faith? Oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Well, we could look and say, well, because he took his eyes off the Lord. Because all of a sudden, he's got to thinking in his own mind, I'm doing that which is impossible. Yeah. This walk of faith is impossible in our own strength and my own strength. The Christian life is impossible. It's a life that's impossible to live in your own strength and by your own wisdom and by your own power. That's religion. The Christian life is a transformation. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All th- behold, all things become new. He has a new, we have a new heart. God just tells us that, that God takes out the old heart of stone and he puts a heart of flesh in there that's sensitive to the tensions and to the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. And then Galatians would tell us that the life that we live, now we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and died for us. It's a transformed life. Romans 5, 6, 7, 8. It's a transformed life. It's a changed life. It's a different life. And it's a life worth living as we keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. But it is a life of the impossible. But it is crazy. 
And it is awesome. And you know that. But you also know, man, I am so capable of taking my eyes off of him. This morning you may be here and you may be feeling like you're in the water and not on it. I'll tell you, there's one prayer. Jesus, save me. I'm going to close with a... <laughs> this is just to illustrate. I was, I was reading these verses this week. This, this is the thing. They, they, oh, mind you down. They, and when they get to the ship, verse 32, the wind stops. And then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him. And in their worship, notice this now. Here's 11 uh, that stayed in the boat. And one that got out and now is in the boat with them. Jesus is there. They had seen him feed the thousands, had the leftovers. They had watched him perform the miracles. They had heard his teaching. And now, as he walked to them in the storm with Peter in the boat, they said, you surely are the son of God, of a truth, of a truth. You're God's son. Well, the story I want to tell you about is, is how important it is for the title of the message to me, for me, this was, this was a, the title for me, not, not, not for consumption or anybody else, but for me, it was going and coming at Jesus' command, <laughs> going and coming at his command. He had to constrain the disciples to get into the boat. They knew better, but they obeyed. He had to tell Peter to come to him. Impossible, but he did. But it all, all of it wraps up. And to me, the central character in the whole thing as the Lord shares this with us is Jesus. He's wanting us to see him. He's wanting us to see him for who he is. And not only for who he is, but for his care and concern and love for us. And sometimes he will not only allow us to be in, but send us into storms. So that we can learn to yield and trust and submit to him. The story I want to close with is about my grandkids and kids. I was reminded, I told you about grandkids first service, but then my, our daughter, Zach Howell, she's now, she's in 40, Paige is 40, ain't she? Yeah, she's, she's there, she's, she's there. She don't look it, but she's there. And uh, you're not too far behind, but Paige come up and remind me, she said, I'm the first one that you taught. And, and she said, I am still the best one. Utah. I knew that would be. I knew there would be some some uh, some something to talk about, but it's but it's about how teaching my, my kids grandkids to drive. And it it, it usually it for us it usually started with the lawnmower, riding lawnmowers. Good good because I love this riding lawnmower. And and I'm, I would they would I would sit in my lap when they were little, and I could sit them in my lap, mow grass, and they'd go to sleep. And I could come to the house and holler at Barbie, and she'd come out and get them, throw them on the couch, and I'd go finish mowing. It was just a good beat a rocking chair, you know. Uh, but, but, but that, and well, as they got older, then they'd sit in my lap and they would put their hands, I'd get them, put their hands on the steering wheel, you know, and they'd put their hands on the steering wheel. And so I had, I had my hand down here, really wasn't noticeable to them. I, or I tried to get it. I was just down here and, and I, and they were driving and I was kind of, you know, I would nudge with my hand. They didn't see that. Now, as they got a little bit older, they got a little bit older, they would see the hand down there and they would take and push away. Now, the latest one is, is Taylor Page and she is, is, has a mind all of her own. 
Um, but we would do it. And I remember that there would be times then when they would push my hand off that I'd take them over in the field. And I would say, okay, drive. And I would just, I'd take my hands off. And, uh, and they would drive. We have made some amazing designs. <laughs> and, didn't matter, you know, and, and they, would, they would go and, they, and I would say, well, we need, you know, you want to try to get back up here on the road or whatever. And, and it was okay. Now, all the time, I've got my foot on the gas, right? I'm the one who's controlling how fast we go and how slow we go. But that's okay. That's another story. But then as we come back home to put the lawnmower up, uh, we come around the road. And, and, and if you go off on the right-hand side, you're going to turn over and Rick. And probably I'm, you're going to get killed and Barbie's going to kill me if that's one of the kids or grandkids. And so... I would come back and I'd say, okay, and at this, you need to let me drive here. And, and it's okay when they were little, they would do that. But as they got older, especially Taylor, as she got older, she wanted to keep her hand, <clears throat> and she wanted to keep her hands on it. And I'm saying, I need control of this. You see in the, in the illustration, I'm the kid. And he's the driver. He's the one that's got his foot on the gas. And he's the one that says that, that is there nudging us and directing us. And a lot of times we think we're doing it, you know, and we see his hand. And he's the one that sometimes says, you know what? You need to take your hands off and let me be in control now. Because this is a dangerous time. This is a time that I need to do this. I'm like Forrest Gump in a lot of ways. <laughs> but the one I'm like him right now is that's, 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 that's it. I, I don't know how the Lord has spoke to me so many, to me. Again, I, this is a sermon that's for Jerry Helton a lot. But he spoke to me so many things in this picture of, of obedience, of when he has to constrain, of trusting, of keeping our eyes on him, of when we do take our eyes off on him, what to do. Quickly, and of the main thing is remembering who he is. I don't know what the Holy Spirit <clears throat> has spoken to your heart this morning from, from God's word, but I do know that the Holy Spirit of God is very good at taking his word and speaking different things to different people because he knows where we are. He knows, he knows, where, he knows where some of us that he may be trying to direct us and we're not, we're saying, man, I grew up on the Galilee. I know better than you. You know, you, you're a carpenter, I'm a fish. Some of us may be trying to tell him and, and he's, he's encouraging us, urging us to go in a different direction. I don't know. For some of us this morning, it's, 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 again, it's that trust, it's that, it's that trusting him and knowing, hearing his voice in the middle of, of it all and walking in obedience I don't know, but I know that God's faithful and the Holy Spirit's faithful. Listen to him. Listen to him and not only listen to him, but be obedient to that what he's saying into your life. Pretty good. Let's, let's. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for this, uh, this morning that you've, that you've shared with us. Lord, all of us probably have been in storms of correction in our life at different times. And we can relate to that. We can relate to it ain't fun. But afterwards, we know it was because you love us. And there's many that can relate, Lord, to, 
the storms of to perfection that, that like these disciples, we, we may have been seeking with everything within us to be right in obedience, where you told us to be, doing what you told us to do, going where you told us to go, and all of a sudden we found ourselves in storms. Maybe there's some that's there right now. And you're wanting, to see, you're wanting them to see who you are and not be afraid, but to come. Wow. Thankful for your word, Lord, that's living in your name. Amen.